Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. If uh, you want to put your finger in your Bible, we'll probably get to Ephesians 5 in a little bit. But I want to talk to you today about being imitators, not idolaters. (laughs) Be imitators, not idolaters. When we were in Sicily, of course, you know, there's a lot of idolatry in Italy, as there are in many nations that we've been to, Japan, Nepal, Thailand, uh, in the Philippines, here in America. Idols are not only images set up, it could be uh, money, it could be a relationship, it could be sports, you know, it could be all kinds of different things. It's not wrong to do different things, but when it takes the place of Jesus and you're not seeking him first anymore, but you're seeking something else besides him, that's when it becomes dangerous. You know, James, the book of James says, this life is but a vapor and we're here and then we're gone. And in the scope of eternity, the things that are most important to us is what is going to matter and where we spend our eternity. When we were in Sicily, I had somebody tell me at the end of one of the meetings where the Lord really touched them. They said the only difference between our church and the Catholic church was that we have no idols. And of course, I'm not bashing the, the Catholic church. You know, I've, I've met people who, who love the Lord and, you know, I might differ with their theology and different points, but... You know, we live in a country that's 85% Catholic. So you're going to have to learn how to communicate with people and not just cut people off. And when we were in Italy, the largest percentage of evangelicals in Italy, all Pentecostal groups, um, Methodists, Baptists, whatever, the largest of the evangelical group, which I think is less than 2% of the nation, is the Pentecostal and Charismatic groups, which was encouraging. But because there's so much idolatry, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not just talking about Catholic stuff as much as I'm talking about Greek mythology and Roman gods that are everywhere. I would say the first we we visited, we stopped in Rome for a couple days because we were flying out. And we saw some of the sites, the Colosseum. We saw a prison where Paul was held, the Apostle Paul was held. And he wrote some of the book of Timothy. And he wrote to the Colossians from there because Paul never went to the Colossians where they live. He wrote from that prison. And it's a dungeon. (laughs) I mean, it was damp. It was dark. It was like, wow, there was no cushion. It was rock, hard rock that he was laying on, sitting on, chained to a wall. And it was from that place where he was taken, I believe it was by uh, Emperor Nero, and he was martyred. They, they decapitated him, 
And they, when they buried him, they separated his head from his body. Because they hated Paul. Because Paul didn't believe that there were any other gods but the God of the Bible. And he spoke that truth. And Paul's voice still speaks to us today. And around the world, people know the name of Paul the Apostle more than they know the name of Emperor Nero. We saw all these amazing sights, but we went into certain places to visit, and I was shocked at how much idolatry there was. And it, and it, was, it was vulgar. The thing about idolatry that's so bad is that it draws worship away from the Lord. It keeps us from fixing our eyes on Jesus. And as I was thinking about what this brother said in their church and just some of the challenges that they were facing, he said to me that he was so thankful that we came to really show them that Jesus is not an image. A lot of people worship Jesus as an image. They idolize Jesus, but they don't imitate Jesus. Jesus did not call us to do that. He didn't call us to, to put him in a corner of our lives or on the shelf of our life and just kind of look at him when we want to and say, oh yeah, maybe I'll serve God today because it's Sunday. <laughs> you see, when we talk about the original apostles, all of them were martyred except for John. And some of them went through horrible torture. Giving their lives for what? To go to church on Sunday? No. But to tell the greatest story that's ever been told. And to make sure that it gets told to the next generation for the next 2,000 plus years. Until Jesus comes back. When we were in the Colosseum, one thing I appreciate about the Catholic Church is that even though the Italian government doesn't want to necessarily put their agreement stamp that there were Christians martyred in the Colosseum, I believe it was well over 3,000 were martyred there. And they were mauled by, by lions, by bears. Yes, the gladiators fought there, and there was all kinds of brutality that took place for the enjoyment and entertainment of the Romans at that time. Children would be thrown in there. And they would laugh as they're drinking their wine and sitting there eating and watching from the stands. All because these people would not give up the name of Jesus. And I'm thankful because the Catholic Church has made sure that there's a cross standing in the Colosseum to this day. And there's a plaque commemorating the martyrs there. Now that is just one location in Rome where Christians were martyred. There are many other places where Nero committed horrible, torturous things. There's one area that for, for many, many miles, I, I, I could be wrong, I need to double check on this. I thought my brother said 100 miles from Rome going south towards uh, Naples. I don't know if it was that long exactly, but we could check on it. But whether it was a mile or a hundred miles, they said that there were people who were crucified for miles in a row. That you would walk along this old Roman road that is still there to this day and people would be crucified. That's how brutal it was. Now, there's brutality in the world today because there's sin in the world today. But I don't think that we've seen yet some of the brutality that they did during the Roman period time. 
And it's not about a, a competition thing at all, as much as it is to paint a picture to say that there are people who laid their lives down for the gospel and counted Jesus so worthy in their life that they would do anything to make his name famous. And we have to think differently. We have to understand that we're not called to just go to church, but we're called to be the church. We're called to lay our lives down as Jesus laid his life down and say, Father, whatever your will is, you are so good you've done for me what nobody else could ever do. You're worthy of my life. Until we learn how to imitate Jesus, all of our other relationships will be out of sync from what God intended those relationships to be. We are to be imitators of Christ, and this enables us to value the image of God that we were created in. We're not called to worship somebody or something else. We were created to worship the Lord God of heaven. In the beginning of this year, Thus the title of this book, How to Become a Burning Bush. I was just in a place of prayer. And as I was seeking the Lord and meditating on Exodus, uh, I, I think it's Exodus 2, where Moses and the burning bush encounter. As I was focusing on it, I've always looked at the position of how Moses must have felt walking up to this burning bush in the wilderness that didn't burn up but it just remained on fire. And then out of it, God speaking to him. How do you think you would feel? I mean, I've always looked at that thinking, wow, Moses had already run away from the purpose that God had planned for his life, but God knew how to get him back on track. <laughs> and so here he is, he comes and the voice speaks to him and tells him that I am he tells him to take your shoes off for the place you're standing is holy ground. So I've always had the perspective of what it must have been like for Moses. Whenever an angel appears in the Bible, oftentimes, what's the first thing that they say to the people who see them? Fear not. When God speaks to you out of a burning bush, that'll probably create a little bit of fear in you. It should. I'm sure we wouldn't just casually walk by and say, what's up, God? No, no, no. The heat coming off. Maybe if it was during the night and, and this light is burning and it's bright. He didn't have a flashlight. And he's out there and he sees this happening. I've always looked at that perspective. But while I was praying, I felt like the Lord changed my perspective to how he felt watching Moses come towards him. And as God was speaking to Moses out from the burning bush as I was reading it, my thought was, Moses, I want you to be this burning bush. Because see, one day, yes, the blood of Jesus would be shed so that weak man could be reconciled to God by faith. But God wanted to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, a baptism of fire that we read about in Acts 2. That fire came down from heaven and landed upon each one of their heads. There was a fire that God wanted Moses to burn with and all of Israel and the nations to burn with. And God could see centuries in advance where this thing was going to go. And he knew that Moses' encounter with him in a burning bush was so supernatural and it was so awesome. But 
What he was trying to get across to Moses is, I'm so happy that you're fascinated by this, but I want to live in you. I want you to be the burning bush. In 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. What a powerful statement that we could say to somebody else. Can we say that to our sons and daughters, to our friends, to our neighbors, to the people here in this church? Imitate me the way that I live sold out for Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says again, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God, dear children. Hebrews 6.12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit promises. 3 John 1.11, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who is of evil, who does evil has not seen God. Lastly, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The word Paul uses for imitate in the Greek is mimites. It means to be a follower. The word Paul uses for idolater is idololatres, which means to be a servant or a worshiper of a false image. See, we, we tend to try to play down idolatry because you think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But it's not that big of a deal if you compare yourself to somebody else. It's a big deal when you compare yourself to what God says, which the first two commandments is, you should have no other gods before me. And secondly, you should not make for yourself any image, any idol in the form of anything. Bow down to worship it, to serve it. Jesus could have come and told the world, bow down and worship me and create an artistic picture of me that you can put up in your church buildings everywhere and, and memorialize that. He didn't do that. That's impersonal. What he said was, I'm going to lay my life down for you so that I can live on the inside of you. I don't want you to just have an artistic image of me in your mind. I want you to know me. I want you to imitate me. I don't want you to idolize me. I am not an idol. I'm God. I am the great I am. There is nobody else before me or after me. That's why when we worship him and him alone, we can learn how to imitate him. But if our affections are placed upon anything or anybody else in this life, it is hard for us to devote ourselves and consecrate ourselves solely to the Lord. The difference between an imitator and an idolater. Imitators are sons and daughters who model their lives after Jesus or those who live a biblical lifestyle. These examples teach and train us how to personally follow the living Jesus by faith. Idolaters are people who are pushed to follow someone or something without personally understanding or knowing why. They forfeit their right to think and act, which causes their identity to become enslaved by whatever idol they worship. There's many cults in the Philippines. One in particular is called Inglesia ni Cristo. In Inglesia ni Cristo, in their doctrine, they do not believe Jesus was God, that he was a great prophet and teacher, but not God, which creates a lot of problems. 
I, I, I've, I've known about these folks. They believe that their church buildings, which all look exactly the same and they're all painted white, it, there's nothing that's uh, affectionate about being in these places. It's all very serious and nobody's smiling. You're forced to give. Even if you're poor, you are required to give. There's no doing it out of, you know, your own conscience. But you're giving under compulsion. Even the leader of it declare themselves as almost a god. In fact, he, uh, the present leader of this cult has fired his mother and his brother from being involved in the ministry and kicked them out. The people are very aggressive with sharing their faith. They're told what to say to people. So it's very mechanical. See, this is what you could do when you create idol worship is you can get people to mechanically do what you want them to do, and they don't think about why they're doing what they're doing. They just do it because everybody else is doing it. They don't have a personal encounter with Jesus or have a personal testimony of where God brought them from. When I'm evangelizing people in the Philippines, I'll say to them, I say, are you a Christian? And I know that 80, 85% of the time, because of the Catholicism, everybody's going to say that they're a Christian. And I'll say, I'll say, so what did Jesus save you from? And they think about it a moment. And many times they'll say, sin. And like kind of with a smile, like I knew the answer. And I'll say, oh, okay. What sin did Jesus set you free from? It's not personal. They don't know. You can pray a general prayer to receive Jesus in your life. Do all the requirements of what your church and organization tells you to do. But if he's not real to you and it's not personable and the blood of Jesus has not been applied to your heart and to your mind, then friend, you can know all about God, but you won't know him. You can quote scripture like the devil did to Jesus. And Jesus knew how he was twisting the scripture and brought it back on his head. And made it clear of what the truth is. See, Christianity is not just knowing information or doing the right things. It's knowing Him. So I'm in a taxi. And in the Philippines, they play a lot of basketball. The last sport that I would think they'd play in, in the Philippines. Because everybody <laughs> is not very tall. Unless they're Chinese Filipino, they get a little bit bigger. And so I play basketball over there. I feel like Shaquille O'Neal over there. It's, it's kind of nice. But I come to America and I get, you know, beat up. But we would play like three, four days a week. And then we'd reach out to the Filipinos. You know, we'd, we'd even go to Mormon uh, church buildings where they have a basketball court outside and go play on there and go start evangelizing people using the Mormon church's facility. I didn't like that too much. Some people started to get saved, so they took the rims down, and we weren't allowed to play anymore. But we, they love basketball in the field. They have their own NBA league. It's called the PBA. How many of you have heard of Manny Pacquiao, the boxer? Okay, so Manny Pacquiao loves basketball. I actually got to play with him at his house one time. I may have showed a video here once before. And so basketball is huge there. It's the number one sport. So we'll go play basketball, and it's a great way to connect with men and share the gospel with them. And so I was getting a taxi to go 
to the, the gym, and it was going to take a good 20 minutes or so drive. So when I get in the taxi, often I'll start evangelizing, talking with the taxi driver. So I get in this time, and it was an older man, and he sat there, and I sat down next to him with my gym bag and my ball. I said, hey, good evening. How are you? There's no welcoming anything. He was dead serious. And he just begins to quote scripture. I'm thinking, okay, you know, well, let me hear what he has to say, you know. And sometimes in evangelism, it's good to listen to somebody before you come down with all your list of what you want to say and talk with people. You know, don't, don't make them into a notch on your belt, you know. And, and, and as I'm listening, he's talking for a good 10 to 15 minutes straight. I haven't gotten a word in. And he's scripture after scripture. And he's, and he's saying it like this. And thus says the Lord. You know, like it was so dramatic. And I'm thinking, did you listen to some, you know, dramatic, you know, Bible on tape or something, <laughs> CD? And, and it just sounded like that. And I'm listening to him. And we're about to turn to go on this other road. And I said, I said, hey, excuse me, time out, time out. Because I started to realize that everything that he was quoting to me, he was part of Inglation e Cristo. They use the Bible to a certain degree and level, and then it gets a little weary after that. And as we're turning, I said, I said, time out. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, is everything that you told me something that you read and found out from the scripture yourself that God showed you? Or was this somebody who told you what to say? He started yelling at me in the taxi that I'm paying for. And I'm keeping my peace, okay? I mean, he is yelling, like angry. So we come to the gate, which he has to give his license, and there's security guards with like... There's like four or five of them. They all have M16s, and that's kind of normal there. And I know all these guys. They've known me for years. So he sees me in a car. Oh, Sir Eric, good to see you, you know. And so he just kind of waves. And as soon as he puts it in park, I felt like the Lord said, get out of the car, but don't go away. Just stand there. So I did. I wasn't supposed to get out because we still had to drive in uh, less than a mile into the, to where the gym was. But I stood out there. This guy jumps out of the car and begins to yell, Kawatan, Kawatan, Kawatan. It means thief, thief, thief. Because I didn't pay for the taxi. And I was going to pay for it. He's yelling. It's creating a scene. Everybody's looking at us now. And the, the guards are looking at him like, what's wrong with you? You know, we know this guy. And so he gets right in my face. And like he's water baptizing my nose. As he's yelling and, and just nutso, I said, I said, hey, 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 calm down. I said, look, I'm going to pay you whatever it was, the 120 pesos, which is like $2. I'm going to pay you for the taxi, and I'm going to give you 100 pesos more. And I said, what I want you to understand and to see right now is the way that you're acting comes from what you believe, but the way that I'm responding comes from what I believe. I said, this is what peace looks like. And I said, I forgive you. And I said, I'm going to walk the rest of the way. And I'm going to pray that God reveals his heart to you because he loves you. And I said, you don't have to even take me the rest of the way. And this guy was like, 
He didn't know what to say. You know, the, the, the guards were in the back going. <laughs> We've taught so many people to idolize Jesus instead of imitating him. I'm almost finished here. In Ephesians 5, starting in verse 1, we kind of shared this first verse. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But for fornication, all the uncleanliness or covetousness, let not it even be named among you as fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For you know that no fornicator, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers in them. What is he saying? He's saying, look, if you worship idols, these things are going to happen in your life. And they'll be in control, and they'll make you a slave to sin. But if you're an imitator of Christ, then these things will not control you or rule you. It doesn't mean that you won't fight against them, but you'll have somebody who lives on the inside of you empowering you to live a separate and holy life that is determined to tell the world about Jesus. You see, to me, we need, Im we need imitators right now. We need men and women. I'm not just saying we need more pastors or we need more evangelists or we need, you know, something that oftentimes will be our default in the church. Say, if we have more of these people doing what they do, then it'll be awesome. I, I'm believing God to raise up laborers, but you don't have to be a pastor or an evangelist in order to imitate Christ. And in your life, whatever God has called you to do, whether it be local or international, whether it be public or at home, I tell you this, you can imitate Jesus to everybody around you. This world, especially here in America, there's so much hypocrisy in the church. And I feel a great burden for that because I was one of those hypocrites and then when I got set free, I started to realize that we have such a great responsibility, not just to get people to heaven, but to represent Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit and let the truth of the gospel take root in our lives so that we bear fruits worthy of repentance. I want to skip down to verse 22 in Ephesians 5, and I'm going to end with this. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their husbands in everything. I used to quote that verse to my wife early on in our marriage, Kalisa. It didn't go over well. Because I didn't read the rest of it. <laughs> verse 25, husbands, love your wives. 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And we can go on and on and on. Why am I reading that right now? Because I want to tell you something. When we first got married, it was like World War III <laughs> for years. Even coming up to the Brownsville Revival in our first six months in the Philippines, I got radically set free. Casey got free from stuff. But how many of you know there's still issues that God works on our heart? There's a process of sanctification after we're made holy and justified in Christ. It's a daily walk of renewing our minds and learning how to walk out and look more like Jesus to imitate him. So after six months of being in the Philippines, the first six months, we, we didn't do any ministry. And we were there with a team of, of uh, four other families. So all five families lived in one house together for the first year. That will test your faith. And as we're in this place, we're fighting a lot the first six months. Different culture. It's hot all the time. You know, there's different food, language, adjustments. And the Lord spoke to our team that the first six months, we were going to pray five days a week, two hours a day together outside of our own personal prayer and time with the Lord. Now, that sounds super spiritual, but I want to tell you, it was testing because I wanted to hit the ground running. <laughs> it had been some years since I've been preaching or doing anything in ministry, and the Lord sat me down for years after I left here, but there's a process. God didn't want me to just give information. He wanted me to teach people how to imitate Christ. Christ had to be formed in us. There's no greater place to do that than a prayer closet. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. If we're the temple of the Holy Ghost, we have to be a people of prayer. As we, coming up on the end of the six months, I'm all excited. We're still fighting, but I'm making excuses in my mind. We have a big blow-up fight. And the Lord speaks to me very clearly two things. First one is, he says, out of that scripture, I think it's in Psalm 34, maybe. It says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. He said, your wife needs to be glowing. And it's your responsibility to make her radiant and shine for me. I thought, okay, I just came out of the Brownsville Revival. I'm ready to go preach the gospel, praise the Lord. Then he said, out of Ephesians 5, what I just read for you, he said, you have a great love for revival and for my church, my bride. But he said, if you don't learn how to love the woman that I've put in front of you, you'll never have the affections I need you to have for my church. Changed everything. We took 10 scriptures a week and changed them every week for three months. 
and we prayed, declared, confessed those scriptures over each other in our own private time. Within three months, the Lord transformed our marriage. And, and we have brought a lot of junk into the marriage. We had met at uh, August of 96. She was working in Rehoboth. Her parents had just moved. We're coming to the church here. And she walked in. Uh, at the time, Pastor Raper had said, uh, I want you to lead a college and career group. I said, I don't want to do that. I said, that's for sorry people who can't get dates. That's what I told them. I was, I was busy and I was making excuses. And the Lord convicted me to do it. So we did it. And the first meeting, in walks Casey. And I go, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It's God's will today. And see anybody else in there. Just focus on her. And, you know, the Lord says, you know, I was just very excited to see that she was there. We started talking, dating. She goes back to school after a month in Central Florida. My phone bill was quite high for the next month. She came back in October. We got engaged. She came back for one week. We got engaged. Picked her up in Baltimore. Went to... Um, the Indian River Inlet, got on a knee and said, put this on. Then we were married by January 18th. Sounds awesome, but we didn't prepare very well. And then it took some years. You know, let me me encourage you young people or single folks, if you want to get married, live sold out for Jesus. He knows how to prepare you for that next phase of your life. Then you won't have to figure things out so much. You just walk and keep in step with his spirit. All these things he was doing in us and changing us, the understanding of marriage from a biblical perspective, raising children. Now we have five kids. All of these kids are on fire for Jesus. I don't have to wake up my kids to go spend time with Jesus. They do that on their own. Why? Because we imitate Jesus. And they've had other people who've poured into their lives, but we live it at home. And it's such a conviction for us because we don't want to just go out and stand on platforms and say all these wonderful things and then go home and be screaming and yelling at each other. And I want to tell you, It's been a busy three years. There's been a lot of times testing and being pulled in our flesh in a lot of ways. But friend, I want you to know that it is possible to imitate Jesus even when things are hard. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.